Hello and welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. You're listening to a message that was part of our Tuesday night worship services that takes place each week on the campuses of University of Northern Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Iowa. This year's theme is As You Go. So we'll be taking a look at the book of Acts and we will be exploring how just as God called the early church, he is calling us today to go. And as Jesus ascends into heaven and we're introduced to the Holy Spirit, we're given instructions as we go. So here's a message presented by one of our campus ministers. We'll be continuing our As You Go series by looking at Acts chapters 6 and 7. Now, this is a lot of material compared to what we normally do. We've been usually going about a chapter at a time. But this next story is just kind of spread out between these two chapters, and it was a really hard story to break up. So I thought it was worth it to really look into the story of Stephen, who becomes the first martyr of the Christian faith. So we are introduced to Stephen um, during the very beginning of Acts chapter 6. We're we're introduced because there's an issue that's happening in the early church. There's, uh, in the process of meeting the needs of of the, the needy people in their community, there are two sets of widows. Um, and there's widows that have more of a, of a Greek background. Um, again, still we're in the early church. We're just about, this is a Jewish um, movement, a Jewish sect. Um, that's, that's what the, the church is at this stage. But there's still some different um, ethnic, cultural backgrounds that, that kind of result in there being some different groups of people. And so in this case, we're talking about uh, Greek Jews and Hebraic Jews. Um, Jews that have more Greek cultural ties versus Jews that have more Hebrew-Israelite cultural ties. And so there's widows from both of these groups that are in the church. And as they're distributing um, food and resources that that are needed, um, the the Greek Jews are, are feeling like they're being overlooked. And, and so they start to ask the disciples, uh, we think we're being overlooked. It doesn't seem like it's fair the way that things are being distributed. Like, can you help us out? Can you make sure that we're getting, um, you know, getting what we need and having our needs provided for too, instead of just the bright Jews. And so the disciples um, hear the request. They they see that it's that it's reasonable, and so it, um, they decide that there's a lot of really important stuff that they're doing. They're they're quite busy. What they want to do is give a chance for some other people that have been, you know, getting some leadership in the church to really express that. And and so they they appoint a group of people. Um, th- this is kind of the concept where we get our our now um, positions of deacons from is that idea of people who are going to be able to do these acts who are who are going to be able to do you know follow through on actions um, so that the church leadership um, the higher up church leaders can can focus more on spiritual needs or just kind of stuff within their gifting and so it's kind of spreading out this leadership these responsibilities but when they call together the deacons, uh, Stephen is one of those people 
um, and there's a, a whole list of names of, of the other people that are called to this task. And the thing about that list of names is just about every single one of those names has a, a, comes from, from Greek. They're Greek-sounding names. Um, and so just the, the really neat thing, I think, that happens here, which is kind of a separate lesson from the Stephen story, but it's how we get introduced to Stephen, the disciples see that one group is being overlooked, and they say, well, we're going to call up people from that group to make sure that that group is well represented, and so they're able to see um, see the overlooked people and 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 see their needs and see who they are and and call out people from that group in order to help them. And I think that's a really cool way of addressing an issue of solving a problem that helps people to be seen and and helps people to be represented well. Um, so just a neat thing that happens there with the disciples that we could probably file away and use a lot more um, when we're choosing our leadership, that, that we need to be mindful of representation and and that we need diversity in in leadership and and uh, those kind of things that are happening there just with this little kind of bit story but that's the story that actually introduces us to Stephen and it talks about how he's someone who's who's full of the holy spirit uh and, and is well respected and 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 so you get a lot of high character type words to describe who Stephen is and then in in chapter six, it, it then further just kind of talks about how um, Stephen has been preaching and sharing the word of God, but then he's called before the Sanhedrin um, because there's this persecution that's been rising up and rising up. And every time the disciples have been doing really good things, it, it's been countered with this persecution happening. Um, they respond to that persecution by still continuing to do the really good things. Uh, which then brings about more persecution or a different kind of persecution. And, and a lot of this persecution that's been happening so far has largely been at the hands of the Sanhedrin. And now earlier in the podcast, I had talked about kind of who the Sanhedrin was. It's, um, it's this council that is both Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, it's kind of the religious leaders and the people who were deciding what what exactly uh, how you should interpret the scriptures and the commandments and and how you should follow the laws and those are the kind of things that they're judging but they're also you know if, if you think that there's been an error or someone's been um, you know blaspheming or violating commands in some way something that needs to be addressed by a religious council, they're the ones that hear this, so they've they've got kind of this authority, uh, some judicial authority, and they hear these arguments, and so they call in Stephen because they hear that he's been preaching the name of Jesus, and they're really trying to put down any mentions of the name of Jesus, and, and other times, you know, the disciples themselves, they've called them before it, but, but everybody kind of knows the disciples, and they're doing like all these cool miracles and that kind of stuff and talks about how the people really care about the disciples and so they're not willing to like out and out attack them or put them in prison for a long time or even try to have them executed for what they're doing um so it's interesting that here they kind of say well we're gonna find this lesser guy that's still pretty big pretty openly talking about jesus and, and we'll figure out a way to punish him and maybe we can get away with that because most of the people don't really know who this guy is as much as as a peter or james or a john or one of the other disciples 
they haven't necessarily heard of this Steven guy, um, even though he's starting to get some respect. So maybe we can stop him before he gets going. So they, they call him in to be questioned, and they're looking for a way to entrap him. They're looking for some, him to say something wrong, and they say, we've heard you've been blaspheming Moses, because that's something we can actually put him on trial for, as opposed to just saying, we heard you use the name of Jesus, and we don't like that. So then Stephen's allowed to give his defense, and that's what uh, chapter 7 is, is he gives his defense, but he does a really interesting thing, because instead of just saying, well, no, that's not what I was doing, what I was actually saying was this, or I, I think you guys misheard me, he just starts going through the history of Israel from from Abraham to to Isaac to Jacob. Uh, mentions Joseph and then brings up Moses, which is the one he was mostly charged for blaspheming. And throughout all that, he paints the picture of how these people were, um, that, that like Jesus is following in their footsteps and, and they were looking forward to um, what Jesus was going to do and then and that Jesus then fulfills the law and fulfills all the things that that these great heroes um, in in scripture were were carrying forward and and that how Jesus is like the fulfillment and completion of of so many of those things and, and he quotes prophecy and he goes to Amos and and he quotes that and then he quotes Isaiah and he, and so he says he's saying all of these things and there's this really long like 50 verses in chapter 7 where Stephen is not interrupted one time but then at the very end of his speech, uh, he really angers the Sanhedrin. And so that's the text that I wanted to to focus on today. And so we're going to start looking at Acts um, 7, uh, 51 through, well, what ends up being chapter 8, verse 1. So we're going to just kind of finish off the chapter. Okay, so this is Stephen talking to the Sanhedrin. And I think it's worth mentioning that sometimes we we put the early church like against Jews and then, because if you isolate some of the things that, that are said by members of the early church, they can sound really against, like, all Jewish people. I think it's important to know the context. For one, the church at this stage is still, like, entirely Jewish. Um, so they're not speaking against all Jews because they're not speaking against themselves. Um, but what he is speaking against here is the Sanhedrin, uh, specifically. And so when he accuses them and and talks about how how they executed Jesus, he's kind of being very literal about it because the Sanhedrin is the one that had put Jesus on trial and and found him guilty and handed him over to the Romans to be executed. And and so I, I feel like Stephen bringing this up against the Sanhedrin here is is accurate. And, and so again, it's important to remember the context and who's actually being talked to here. So Stephen, when addressing the Sanhedrin, ends his argument by saying, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. And so he kind of lays down, instead of them talking about his charges and those kind of things, he turns it around and he lays down charges on them. 
And the main charge, like he mentions the fact that they killed Jesus, but I, I don't even feel like that's the thing that he's trying to make them analyze and and think about. It's really in verse thir- 53 there. Um, you who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. I think that's his harshest charge here. Is he's telling these religious leaders, these um, arbiters of the law, that they're not obeying the law, that they're missing the point of the law, and and that they took the person who was pointing them to the correct fulfillment, to the correct point, to how you're supposed to follow and walk out the law that they took that person and just had them executed because they didn't like to face the fact that they were not obeying the law. I feel like that's kind of Stephen's accusation here against the Sanhedrin. And this is the part that the Sanhedrin just can't tolerate. I mean, saying your hearts and ears are, are still uncircumcised, like that's kind of an offensive statement there. He, he brings up the fact that there's all of these prophets that they have throughout scripture that were persecuted and killed by their own people because they didn't want to hear the message that they had. And so he's saying, Jesus is right in line with all your prophets. You killed him too because you weren't willing to listen to the message that he had. So it says then when in 54, when the members of Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That vision there from Stephen is dramatic. It's also, it's got this confirmation of, of his faith. So, so he's had the boldness to share all of these things before the Sanhedrin, before a, a council that could, that could rule some pretty horrible things about him, that could have him tortured, that could have him imprisoned, um, that could even end up leading to his death. He has this vision of Jesus standing at the right hand of God and confirming the, the things that he's put his faith in. He sees God revealing to him, you're doing well. And and the thing about it too is is other times when we have a vision of, of the throne room in heaven or or it's talked about um, kind of what what where Jesus is ascending to, has ascended to. Um, it talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And yet here, he's pictured by Stephen as standing. And this is one of those things that is true in their culture, it's true in our culture. That standing in someone's presence is showing a certain amount of, of reverence and honor towards that person. When it, When a judge comes into a courtroom, we all stand up. When we've witnessed a really good performance, at the end of it, we give a standing ovation. Jesus here is not sitting at the right hand of God, but he is standing. And I think that aspect of the vision is the acknowledgement of, Stephen, you are you are pouring yourself out for me. You are sacrificing yourself for my name. I'm honored by you. I, I, re, 
have tremendous amount of respect for you. I'm, I'm blown away that you would do these things in my name. And, and so Jesus chooses to stand before Stephen, the first martyr for the Christian faith. At the end of the story, it says, uh, At this, the Sanhedrin covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. The story ends with the Sanhedrin dragging him out of the city and stoning Stephen, killing him. The person who's present there, witnessing, giving approval of this execution, is a man named Saul. We're going to hear more about Saul in the coming weeks, months, um, practically the last half of Acts, the rest of Acts, is mostly about this guy Saul and how he becomes Paul and then what he does as God's missionary, Paul. But here he's just a person who's approving of the first martyr. He's approving Stephen's execution. He's present when this happens. So not only has, has Saul seen the boldness of the faith of Stephen, but he sees this last act that Stephen does where he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I think as, as Saul ends up on the road to Damascus where he, he witnesses his own vision of Jesus and and, and he, he starts to follow Jesus and realizes that is the right path instead of the path that he was on to kill Christians. He, he realizes, and I think probably remembers, of this forgiveness that Stephen had, even in the midst of, of dying, of being stoned to death, Stephen forgives And so Saul, I think, eventually is able to see that forgiveness and, and is probably blown away by that kind of grace that was extended to him in the midst of a, a, a horrendous act that he was doing against Stephen, against the church, against God. That that's the I think takeaway from this Stephen story is that even in all of this, his he was bold for his his faith and and he 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 was willing to to preach the word of God while under trial on trial in front of the Sanhedrin. His forgiveness at the end of his life is maybe the most incredible thing. And, and that's the part of Stephen that, that I think the, the most directly says he's a really good Jesus follower, someone who listened. 
because these words receive my spirit. Do not hold this sin against them. These are the same words that were uttered by Jesus on the cross. Stephen knows that even in the midst of, of death, you just cry out to God. But not only cry out to him to receive your spirit, but cry out to him to seek the forgiveness of those who are persecuting you, of those who are executing you. And so that's the kind of forgiveness I want us to be living out. I want us to be people who are bold, who speak for Jesus, even in the midst of the toughest circumstances. I want us to be people of faith who trust that God is there to receive our spirits, that God is honored by our sacrifice, but also to be people who forgive the worst kind of offenses, the worst types of persecution that we could face. He forgives. And that's one of the things that marks a lot of the, the people who die for their faith in the, in the first century in the early church. It's people who were facing just horrendous circumstances. And instead of standing up for their, their rights or, or trying to say, uh, you know, you can't do this against me because I'm a Roman citizen and I've got these rights or because I'm this kind of person and or just I'm a, a person who deserves freedom and, and better treatment than this. They're willing to say, I know you're persecuting me because of what I believe. I'm not going to step away from that belief. I'm not going to stand down from that. But also, I forgive you for the choices that you're making. I know that God loves you just like he loves me. And he doesn't see you as a murderer, as someone who's executing Christians. God sees you as his child. And so I want God to forgive you like he's forgiven me for all of my sins. I want God to forgive you for this act as well. And they intercede on behalf of their persecutors. They seek God's forgiveness for those who are literally killing them. I think this is what it means to follow Christ, to be like Jesus. Because those are the kind of things that he said while he was even on the cross. It's the kind of things that Stephen said while he was being stoned. It's the kind of things that we should be able to see in all circumstances. Instead of fighting for our freedoms and our rights, we should forgive. So our theme for this session is as you go, forgive. To be reminded of the kind of radical forgiveness that Stephen had and that he shared with his persecutors.